From the Wisconsin State Journal, I'm Elizabeth Beyer. So we'll just go up and then over. This is Front Page, a podcast that takes a look at some of the State Journal's most interesting recent stories. There, this is an audio piece, and this is um, Carrie Niziolek, who is in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders. So she started with the same spoken source material and then played it back into different rooms um, and then recording it again and again. And so the final recordings are here. This week, we'll take a break from politics to go on an audio journey through the Chazen Museum of Art with museum editor Kirsten Pyers. And Chazen Art Director Amy Gilman discusses the museum's 50th anniversary exhibition and the Chazen's history, which began during a turbulent time in the United States and on the UW-Madison campus. So it gets more and more distorted each time it's recorded, played back and recorded. It's a real mix over the show, and we didn't require anything, right? What the uh, call for work was that we wanted to have artists propose something that would put their work in relation to something in the museum's permanent collection or a physical space or sort of a time-based piece within the museum. And we didn't narrow it down any more than that because, honestly, I... I trust artists to come up with things that I could never have conceived of, which is exactly, frankly, what happened. So in the show that you see, you see, in some cases, individual objects from the museum's collection juxtaposed directly with individual objects that had been made by artists prior to coming into this show. And then you see, and so I'm going to give you like the big range, right? So that you you have on one hand something that's a clear kind of one-to-one relationship between an artist object and something that's in the collection that they have identified. Tom Lozier's work, uh, which is the chairs that's at the front of Roland and the, the big square group of seating that's sort of as you walk in the door, right? Those two things are meant to be seen in relationship to each other. And he had made those previously. But then you also have work that was uh, created prior but is now seen in a whole new context right and actually lisa grelnick's work of the large jewelry box is a great example of that where that was a piece that she had created prior and had shown in other contexts and she had proposed it to come to the museum to be seen here and we talked to her over time about what would be an interesting context for that work And indeed, it sort of became clear that by taking that work, that very contemporary piece, but it's so, um, like the pink is so kind of luscious. It has this very particular kind of memory, sense memory, I think, especially for girls of a certain age. But it also, with those big pieces of jewelry, then makes you see the paintings that are in the gallery very differently than you did prior to that work being installed, right? It's because like, you know, the painting of Lady Caroline, which is on one of the walls that's facing you as you walk into the gallery, 
you might not think about her jewelry first and foremost, but her jewelry is actually totally fascinating. And now you think about it earlier because right in front of that piece, right there on the floor, is this large piece of jewelry, right, which actually isn't based on the painting but has a relationship to it. So that had been made prior, but it has it gives sort of new context for it. But then you also have work that has been created specifically in response to objects from the museum's permanent collection. And Tamika Jones's work, which is in the Roland Gallery here, which is, as you are coming in the door, if you turn to the left, is the first set of works on the wall to your left right there. These beautiful landscape prints that were created specifically in response to the exploration she started doing into the museum's outstanding collection of Japanese prints. So that's a new body of work, right? But it is seen in relationship to something very specific. And then of course you get to like Jennifer Angus's work, which it takes over an entire gallery. This is um, Jennifer Angus, also from the School of Human Ecology. And could you kind of describe what we're seeing? Yeah, so Jennifer Angus is well known as a, uh, I guess you could say a textile designer who uses insects as her design element. So um, she has preserved actual insects that she uses in motifs sometimes to appear to be wallpaper. In this case, she's using um, the insects around framed artwork so that it's sort of an additional uh, frame for the artwork. And she's responding to Martha Glowacki's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is this piece here that's part of our permanent collection. So she's created additional Cabinets of Curiosity in this in this exhibition, this installation. And she's really taken over this entire gallery. She's covered all of the walls with um, insect motifs. She's included some of her own drawings, and I think these are drawings, not prints, in addition to works from the collection. Um, and interestingly, some of the works she's chosen from our collection are by artists who are also in the show. So um, this is a work by Fred Stonehouse, who also has pieces in the show. So it's kind of, kind of layered in meta. Um, and then you see these, these huge cabinets that have some, uh, some of the drawers pulled out. And they are just really interesting little vignettes, sort of pieces, objects from natural history, objects that aren't so natural. Some of them look like little staged some of them look like little dioramas. Some of them just look like, you know, a collection, like this collection of buttons. Although there is an insect in there as well. All arranged in, um, in inspiration from the from Cabinet of Curiosity. And the Cabinet of Curiosity is kind of where the idea of a museum first started hundreds of years ago. People would collect interesting things, and they called them cabinets of curiosities. They'd put them in, in cabinets and, or under vitrines, like you see some of these objects are. And that's kind of where museums came from originally. So that's Jenny Angus. You really have to see this. It's very, 
not satisfying to try to describe it with words. Or you have Fred uh, Stonehouse's work, again, takes over a whole gallery. Stephen Hilliard's work, which now puts the Russian collection in a whole other context. Those also were things that they had proposed, but that evolved over time because we were sort of willing to let them experiment with the collection and show us the museum in ways that we couldn't imagine when we first started this process. How does this exhibition coincide with the museum's 50th anniversary? Since my arrival here in 2017, I have been thinking about the museum's 50th anniversary. When I got here, it felt like 2020 was just far enough away that we could plan something interesting for it, but not so far away that it seemed like it was sort of like, oh, always in the distance, right? And one of the things that I wanted us to do, which as a staff we did very deeply and by really talking to our community, is really think about grounding what we're doing at the museum in its history, right, in the the 50 years, right, but looking forward. What is the forward part of what we're doing? So we don't want to just jettison our history, we actually want to honor it. And indeed with this exhibition, a faculty exhibition has been going on at the museum since the 1970s, every four years. And I wanted to honor that tradition, but I also wanted to signal that we were going to be looking forward, right? That we're going to be thinking about it differently and that art making today is so multidisciplinary. It can encompass everything from traditional painting, sculpture and decorative arts to uh, time-based work, such as the dance performances and things like that, that we really needed to honor that with the form. And this exhibition is the first and indeed the most ambitious exhibition we're doing in this anniversary year. And I think that that signals that we're taking the faculty at UW seriously, that we are here to serve the entirety of the community, and that we are also here to be a nexus, a place where we are the largest arts classroom on campus. We want to be a teaching and learning space but not necessarily in a traditional uh, sense. So this is part of um, conceiving us in that way. What was happening in the U.S. and in Wisconsin at the time the Chazen was founded? I have thought a lot about the moment in which the, the, what became the Chazen was founded. And the more I have learned about that time, that time here at UW in the 1960s, time here in our country, what it meant to be in an academic environment at that time, the more I'm struck by how important that moment was actually all across this country. Um, it was such a moment of upheaval and change in ways that actually could feel familiar to us now. But, but when I talk to people, for example, who were part of the museum's beginning who worked here, you know, while the building was being built. And they tell me things like, oh, right, when I was coming to work, um, there would be like tear gas, right, like on Bascom Hill. And you think like, wow, I can't even imagine that they would have continued to hold classes, but they did. And we're far enough away in history that we don't see it as kind of um, jarring as it would have felt like at that moment. 
tensions on the UW-Madison campus culminated in the 1970 bombing of Sterling Hall, which claimed the life of one and injured three others. It was August 1970 when four college-aged men protesting the Vietnam War set off the powerful explosion in the building that housed the Army Math Research Center. Physics researcher Robert Fosnacht, father of three, was killed in the blast. He was working in his lab at the time. It had been sort of lost to history, although it was sitting right in front of us, that three weeks before this museum opened to the public for the first time was the bombing at Sterling Hall here. And this museum still opened three weeks later, and the articles about it actually talked about how the opening of the museum was sort of part of, like, trying to heal in the community. I mean, so it was actually intertwined, although... You know, 50 years later, we just didn't talk about it in that way. And I am really interested in the way that history is actually very complex, right? That um, that we cannot just say, like, we were founded as a museum at this moment, and it was just like the gathering together of all these things at the university, because there were so many things that played into that that have made us who we are today, right? And we should be telling those stories in really complex ways. That moment was also this time of this really incredible uh, renaissance of teaching and learning and artistic creation that we were a part of, right? So Conrad Elvium, who became the um, chancellor of UW, at his first administrative meeting, it was voted amongst the administration of the university what was the highest priority for the university. And the founding of an art center and art museum was voted the most important thing. That tells you something about the time, right? And that it was, that this museum was forged during that period, I think is also a, a really good moment to reflect on. It was not without its controversy. It was a difficult period. And that makes it complex. And complexity is actually quite wonderful, right? And it was founded as an art center. And like many university museums, was for for a long time fairly inwardly focused, fairly small, like serving a, a small number of departments, you know, housed totally within this original 1970 building. And then... It became a museum at the end of the 1970s. And it was that that really began, I think, the evolution to what we are today. And I really credit, it's not just a history of directors who are thinking along these lines, but also you know, the staff and the administration of the university who are really thinking about what it means to like grow a space like this on campus, right, over time. And so, you know, there's a long history of thoughtful exhibitions and great scholarship and collaborations with faculty and things like that. And what we're trying to do is, like, reach into that history and ground what we do in where we have been, but really thinking about how to move that forward. And now, you know, in 2005, the museum was renamed, right, the Chazen Museum of Art. And in 2011, we opened with this new building, which 
by anyone's standards is we are now a significantly a, a large university art museum and we should be functioning that way in terms of, of how we contribute to the whole of the university, how we contribute to the field of museums, how we participate in thinking about teaching, learning, community today. And how do you plan to move the museum forward after its 50th year? Well, that's really what we're exploring this year. The, the moving forward from a director standpoint is that it's always good to have some milestones, right? So when I first got here, and Kirsten can attest to this, you could ask anybody on staff who was here at the time, I, I started talking about the 50th like at my arrival, right? Not because I knew that we would do what we're going to do in this year. I didn't know exactly what would happen. I didn't know, for example, that we would radically change the museum's hours right before this year, right? I just didn't know that because we hadn't gotten there yet. But I knew that the 50th year would be a really good year to like land on some new things. And similarly, when I look forward next, I know that the next most important thing we're going to be doing is we are going to be reimagining the way the museum presents its permanent collection to the public. And that is a next logical step. It is a huge undertaking. And we're going to take that really seriously. We're going to give it some time, right? We've hired the first chief curator for the museum who is leading this process, right? With the intention of being inclusive about how we're experimenting with things and talking to people about what they enjoy about the collection, about what they would like to see out more. This faculty exhibition is also a great way for us to experiment with how we do things in the galleries without the pressure of reinstalling a gallery and having it be that way for years, right? It's, you know, it's up there for a semester. So the next thing is actually going to be the reinstallation of the collection, which will transform all of the galleries in the museum in a variety of stripes and will take us the next three to five years to do. Thanks for listening to Front Page, a podcast that takes a look at some of the State Journal's most interesting recent stories. You can find this podcast on our website at www.madison.com slash WSJ, iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. 